0: The world is wild and wonderful, there's so much yet to know. So here we are with questions, it's what in the Sam Hill show. We've done the math, we've read the books, we've searched through archives. Oh, we're nerds and we're letting our freak flag fly, letting it fly. Oh, we're nerds and we're letting our freak flag fly. Hello and welcome to this second episode of What in the Sam Hill, a podcast applying academic inquiry to preternatural phenomena. I'm your host Erin and today we're going to discuss the miracle of the sun at Fatima in 1917. So grab your beverage of choice, I'm drinking peppermint tea, and let this meeting of the eggheads commence. So in 1917, over the course of several months, on the 13th of each month, three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal, saw an apparition of the Virgin Mary. One, Francisco, could see the Virgin. One, Jacinta, could see and hear her. And one, Lucia, could see, hear, and communicate with the Virgin. They were seemingly unlikely candidates. Um, Lucia dos Sa- Santos and her cousins Francisco and Jacinta Marto were 10, 9, and 7, respectively. They were poor, illiterate peasants tasked with herding the family's sheep. Um, so as such, when Lucia told others what they had experienced, experience, news spread like wildfire. But the jeers of the skeptics did as well. Slowly, thousands began to show up each month for the apparitions, waiting for a sign. And then for the fourth apparition in August, the local government actually kidnapped and threatened to kill the children. Um, And they kidnapped them from the period of the the 13th through the 15th. So instead, Mary appeared on the 19th that month. Um. And then Lucia asked Mary for proof to help show others that it was real, and so the Virgin Mary told Lucia that on her sixth and final visit on October 13th, she would perform a miracle so that everyone would believe them. In the lead up to that day, the abuse grew worse. Neighbors threatened violence against the family if it turned out to be a hoax. Francisco and Jacinta's father stood by them, but That wasn't the case with all of the family members. Lucia's sister asked Lucia to tell everyone it wasn't real. Her mother, convinced they were going to be murdered, asked Lucia to go to confession. The local priests acted against the children. One came around in the days before trying to catch the children in the lie, then trying to bribe them into changing their story and finally threatening them when he couldn't be successful in the other ways. Another priest on the day of the event attempted to push the children away from the site of the apparitions before anyone anything could happen. The Catholic Church was in fear of an anti-Catholic coup of what little power the church had left in the country. Um so I, it's understandable why they did that, but still there were many people that wanted to prove these children false or silence them. And yet Despite all of that, the sun supposedly dimmed to an eclipse-like glow, danced and changed colors in the sky. Something happened on October 13th, and estimates range from 30,000 to over 100,000 that were in Fatima to witness it. And I want to know what that phenomenon really was. Something interesting about this case is that unlike last week where we're talking about the Nephilim... This phenomenon wasn't thousands of years ago. It was only a little over a century ago. We have newspaper clippings and photographs of the witnesses. We don't have any photographs of the sky during the event. Um, unfortunately, that required special equipment in 1917 that no one had on site. But we have an investigation and confirmation from the Catholic Church. Um, if you don't know, the Our Lady of Fatima is... One of the most popular devotions, um, particularly in North America, maybe second, well, definitely second to Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is the most famous apparition to happen on the North American continent, whereas this happened in Europe. But it's an incredibly powerful and uh, popular devotion in the Catholic Church today. But we also have a plethora of online blogs purporting to explain exactly what happened that day. So before we dive into all the information, I really want to set some boundaries here. First, I don't want to tread into anything other than October 13th. Obviously there were apparitions before then, but we don't have thousands of witnesses for those. While thousands were there for some of the earlier apparitions, other people couldn't see Mary only the solar phenomenon that came with the sixth apparition, so I can't do as much with the earlier incidents. Um, I also don't want to tread into the secrets that the Virgin Mary told Lucia and then what happened after that as far as publishing them. That is a different episode and different conspiracy theory all on its own. I really just want to stick to The Miracle of the Sun. I'm going to be looking at some of the newspapers and published works, but I'm going to avoid the vast majority of commentary on this event because, honestly, it's blogosphere white noise. I need to stick to what I can verify, and I can't guarantee that Linda with an anti-Pope Francis blog can tell what the sun did a 100 years ago. Sorry, Linda. It's not you. It's me. Um... But also there is such a plethora of scholarship in the subject that I really want to take advantage of that. So I want to start with an English translation of an original newspaper article from that day. This article by Avelino de Almeida was published in the October 15th daily edition of O Seculo newspaper and has been translated by John Nargang. Sorry, John, that I know I'm from, I, can guarantee I'm mispronouncing your name. So the article says, upon disembarking after a delayed trip at around four o'clock in the afternoon at Chaudimacas station in Orem, where religious people coming from in, coming in from faraway lands were also exiting carriages in order to be present at the miracle. I asked a boy from a cherubank by the road if he had already seen the lady. With a sardonic smile and a crooked look, he didn't hesitate in res- his response. Here I've only seen rocks, carriages, cars, horses, and people. Because of a simple mistake, the train that should have taken Judarua, um, inserting my own little note here, Judarua was the photographer, um, just for reference. Because of a simple mistake, the train that should have taken Judah, Rua, and me to the village did not appear, and we decided to courageously hoof it for almost seven miles on account of not having the diligence to sign up for passenger carriages. On the road, we came across the first groups of wanderers that continue in the direction of the holy site for more than twelve well-measured miles. Men and women go almost entirely barefoot, the latter with sacks on their heads surmounted by shoes the former upholding themselves on thick canes and cautiously armed with umbrellas. It might be said, in general, that they move along undistracted by what passes about them. Greatly disinterested in the countryside and other travelers, as if to be immersed in a dream, praying a sad melody or a mystery of the rosary. A woman breaks off the first part of the Hail Mary, the greeting of the angel Gabriel the companions in chorus continue with the second part the supplication at a sure and measured pace they tread along the dusty road between pines and olive groves in order to arrive before night's end at the apparition site where amidst the moisture and the cold light of the stars they intend to sleep guarding the first spots next to the blessed holly oak tree so that they might see things better at the entrance of the town peasant women half of whom have already become infected with the virus of skepticism comment upon in a mocking tone the event of the day are you going to see the saint tomorrow am i no as if she has even seen this place and they laugh loudly while the devout proceed with indifference toward all that is not the, sub- the object of their pilgrimage in orem it is only through an extreme courtesy that we are able to retire for the evening during the night the most diverse vehicles assemble in the village square driving the believers and the curious with no lack of old women darkly dressed now stooped with the burden of years but with the spark of burning faith in their eyes that drove them to the courageous act of abandoning for for a day the inseparable nook of their homes At daybreak, new groups of intrepid wanderers appear and move through the village, not stopping for an instant, and their silence breaks apart the harmony of the hymns that that the well-endowed feminine voices sing in great contrast to their brusqueness. The sun comes out, but the sky signals the threat of a storm. Black clouds build up precisely around the area of Fatima. Nothing yet deters those who converge there from all roads and avail themselves of all types of locomotion. The luxury automobiles glide along precariously, honking their horns. The animal carts slowly drag themselves off to a side of the road. The large wagons, the Victorian carriages, the two-wheeled horse-drawn wagons in which seats are improvised two by two until one can improvise no more. Almost everyone carries food provisions, more or less modest, for Christian mouths, and the fruit ration is for the irrational animals which the poverello of Assisi called our brothers and sisters, and they courageously earn their wages. Little bells chime on a two-wheeled wagon adorned with a bush. Despite this festive and discreet air, everything is composed and conducted with absolute order. Donkeys trot along the edge of the road, and the numerous cyclists work miracles not to collide with cars. By ten o'clock, the sky becomes completely cloudy, and without delay it begins to rain, and rain hard. Sheets of rain battered around by a wef- by a rough wind punish faces, soaking the road and drenching to the bone travelers deprived of head coverings or any other protection. But nobody becomes impatient or stops. And if someone takes shelter under a canopy of trees next to the walls of the farm buildings or the distant houses that bend over the road, others continue the march with an impressive persistence, like some ladies whose clothes are pasted to their bodies from the effect of the force and pertinacity of the rain, resembling people who had come straight out of a bath. The shrubland around Fatima, where it is said that the virgin appears to shepherd children of the hamlet of Algestrel, is dominated to a great extent by the road that runs to Lira, and along it are affixed the vehicles that drove pilgrims and spectators there. More than 100 automobiles, someone said, and more than 100 bicycles, and it would be impossible to count the diverse cars that block the road, one of them the public transport bus from Torres Novas, inside of which mingle people of all social conditions. In addition to the body of pilgrims, thousands of people from many miles around, faithful who have come from various Portuguese provinces, natives of Alentejo and Algarve, of the Minho and Bira regions, congregate in the vicinity of the small holly oak tree, which, according to the little shepherds, the supernatural vision chose as her pedestal, and which could be considered the center of an ample circle inside of which other spectators and faithful accommodate themselves seen from the road the sight is simply fantastic the prudent country dwellers enclosed within their head coverings as within tents observe many of them the thinning out of economical bags of rations along with the spiritual conduct of sacred hymns and decades of the rosary There is no one who fears burying his or her feet in the drenched soil in order to see up close the holly oak above which they raise a coarse portico with two wobbly lanterns. The groups alternate singing praises to the virgin, and a terrified hare leaping out of the tall brush and away scarcely diverts the attention of a half-dozen children who catch it and leave it prostrate with blows from sticks. And the little shepherds? Lucia, ten years old, a visionary, and her little companions, Francisco, nine, and Jacinta, seven, still have not arrived. Their presence is signaled maybe a half hour before the time that was indicated as coming from the apparition. The girls, crowned with flowers, head to the site in which the portico is erected. The rain falls incessantly, but nobody loses patience. Cars arriving late reach the main road groups of monks kneel in the mud and lucia asks or orders that hats be brought to them the order is passed along and obeyed promptly and without reluctance there are people many people as if in ecstasy people deeply moved on whose dry lips prayer is paralyzed astonished people with immobile hands and watery eyes people who seem to feel to touch the supernatural the child affirms that the lady spoke to them more than once and the sky, still menacing, begins suddenly to clear up overhead. The rain stops, and it is affirmed that the sun is going to inundate the countryside, the sun that the cold morning sadly took away. The hour advances, and overseeing this multitude, which dispassionate calculations of educated persons immune to mystical influences compute to be thirty or forty thousand people. The miraculous manifestation, the announced visible sign, is about to produce itself, many pilgrims assert. And then a spectacle makes makes itself present, unique, and unbelievable to anyone not a witness to it. From the summit of the road where cars congregate and many people many hundreds of people remain whose valor became scarce in venturing upon muddy earth, the entire immense multitude is seen turning towards the sun, which presents itself free from the clouds in its zenith. The star resembles a plate of opaque silver, and it is possible to stare at the disk without the most minimal effort. It doesn't burn. It doesn't blind. It may be said to be an eclipse in progress, but a colossal uproar suddenly arises, and the spectators that are closest are heard to yell, miracle, miracle, a marvel, a marvel, to the amazed eyes of those people whose attitude transports us to biblical times and who, pale with astonishment and with heads uncovered, face the blue sky, the sun trembled, The sun had never before seen brusque movements beyond all cosmic laws. The sun danced, according to the typical expression of the peasants. Perched on the step of the public bus from Torres Novas, an elderly man whose stature and physiognomy, at the same time sweet and strong-willed, reminiscent of Paul de Rulladay, I think that's how that's pronounced, facing the sun, recites the creed in a clamorous voice from beginning to end. I ask who he is, and they tell me he is Mr. Joao Maria Amado de de Melo Romalo de Cunha Vasconcelos. Later, I see him address those around him who keep their hats on, vehemently begging them to remove them in the face of such an extraordinary demonstration of the existence of God identical scenes play out elsewhere and a lady cries out deep in affliction indeed almost in a fit of suffocation what a shame there are still men who don't take off their caps before such an incredible miracle and later some others ask us and later on some ask others if they saw it or what they saw The majority confesses to have seen a trembling or dancing of the sun, but others declare to have seen the smiling face of the Virgin herself, and swear that the sun spun around like a wheel of fireworks, that it descended almost to the point of burning the earth with its rays. There are those who say they saw it successively change color. It's close to three o'clock in the afternoon. The sky is swept of clouds, and the sun continues its course with the habitual splendor that no one dares to face directly. And the little shepherds? Lucia, the one who speaks with the Virgin, announces in dramatic fashion and with manly bearing while being transported from group to group that the war will end and that our soldiers were going to return. Even such news does not increase the jubilation of those who listen. The celestial sign was everything. There is an intense curiosity to see the two girls with their garlands of roses, and there are those who try to kiss the hands of the little saints, one of whom, Jacinta, is more inclined to faint than to dance. But the reason everybody was yearning to touch her, the sign from heaven, was sufficient to satisfy them, to root them in their simple and naive faith walking vendors offer portraits of the children on postcards and other cards that display a soldier of the Portuguese Expeditionary Corps, thinking about the help of his protectress for the salvation of the fatherland, and even an image of the Virgin as being the figure of the vision. That was a good business, and certainly more coins entered the pockets of vendors and not the trunk of alms for the shepherd children, towards whom were opened and extended the hands of the lepers and the blind, who, jostling with pilgrims, emitting their heart-rendering cries into the air. The crowd disperses rapidly, without difficulty, without a shadow of disorder, without there being the work that characterizes that of any police detail. The pilgrims depart most rapidly, traveling the roads leading away. They are the ones who arrived first barefoot with shoes around their neck or suspended from their walking sticks. They depart with souls in perpetual adoration, ready to bring the good news to the hamlets not completely depopulated. And the priests, some attend to the locals, smiling and mingling more with curious spectators than with pilgrims eager for celestial favors. Perhaps one or another of them did not manage to disguise the satisfaction that so often manifests itself in the look of the triumphant. It still remains for the competent ones to apply judgment to the macabre dance of the sun that, today in Fatima, Fatima, made hosannas explode from the chests of the faithful and left people naturally moved. This is what reliable people assure me, free thinkers and other people without concerns for religious nature, about those who flocked to this already celebrated shrubland. A few things I want to note. First, this is 1917. We are in the grips of World War I. Antibiotics have not yet been invented, so even small illnesses can be deadly. Wartime inflation and famine has tension mounting in the country. And in December of 1917, a coup overthrows the Portuguese government. So the level of piety in these peasants is something that we cannot fathom in our modern Western perspective. Every aspect of these people's lives was in the hands of God. Atheism and apathy are luxuries of the upper classes. They say there are no atheists in the trenches. well, these people are in metaphorical civilian trenches, but I also want to note there's a wide range of socioeconomic classes here. Almeida notes that there are people in vehicles and a wide variety of carriages and carts as well as a significant of significant number of people hoofing it on foot so this event attracted everyone, not just the poor faithful. That means that while there are a large portion of the witnesses who are going to have the confirmation bias of looking for a miracle, you also have a large number of rubberneckers or even those who want to actively prove that it is a hoax. I also want to bring attention to the people treating these children as living saints, kissing their hands and purchasing their pictures. I don't think people would be doing that if it was just any old thing. Compare that to the supposed Medjugorje apparitions that have been allegedly happening for 40 plus years in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mejigore has several issues that people are able to pick apart, such as the fact that it has been 40 years. It's way, way longer than any other apparition. And conveniently, it can't be investigated fully and ruled on by the church until it's officially over. It's Mejigore is used for the ep- economic benefit of the country, as well as the supposed seers specifically. But tourism really has been a huge boon to the area. Um And then also the supposed seers are busy doing guest speaking. Some of the messages of Međugorje contradict Catholic teaching. And the seers are actually publishing match- um Messages with such frequency that they're contradicting each other. None of the visionaries have sought religious vocations, and many of the supposed elements of the apparitions are seemingly plagiarized from Fatima. For example, the sun dancing, coming every month on the same day, secrets from Mary, etc. Um, no one is selling pre-sainthood saint cards of the Medjugorje visionaries. The Fatima kids, on the other hand. Did not profit from the incident. Actually, Francisco and Jacinta both died young. In the few years after the apparitions, Lucia is the only one who survived into into adulthood and she became a nun. So that tells me that there's something here. Even if the people are mistaken about what they saw, they truly believe it. They're not trying to scam anyone. These are hopeless people grasping for the mercies of God in a weary, war-torn time. Qui bono? Who benefits? Well, the benefactor at Fatima is the church, who saw a revival of the faith in Portugal. But the priests were actively trying to prevent anyone from turning this into a big deal. It doesn't seem like it would be a hoax perpetrated by them if they were trying to dissuade the children. And it doesn't seem like it could be a hoax perpetrated by anyone else because they didn't benefit. I am also going to include in the show notes a report by Father John Demarchi. This is a great resource if you want a full background of the apparitions, beginning with the very first one, and is actually a primary resource that most of the scholarship uses as a reference. It was compiled by Father Demarchi after interviewing witnesses throughout the region, and it's a great primer on the subject. I don't want to go in depth on it here, but I do want to read the portion, which is Dr. Almeida Garrett's testimony. As I waited with cool and serene expectation, looking upon the place of the apparitions and with a curiosity that was fading because the hour was passing away so slowly without anything to arouse my attention, I heard the rustle of thousands of voices. I saw the people stretched out over the large field turn about from the point upon which their desires and anxieties had converged so far to the opposite side and they looked up at the sky. It was almost two o'clock wartime, or about noon suntime. The sun had broken jubilantly through the thick layer of clouds just a few moments before. It was shining clearly and intensely. I turned to this magnet that was drawing all eyes. It looked to me as a luminous and brilliant disc, with a bright, well-defined rim. It did not hurt the eyes. The The comparison which I heard while still at Fatima, with a disk of dull silver, did not seem right to me. The color was brighter, far more active and richer than dull silver, with the tinted luster of the orient of a pearl. Nor did it resemble the moon on a clear night. Everyone saw and felt that it was a body with life. It was not spheric like the moon, neither did it have an equal tonality of color, It looked like a small, brightly polished wheel of iridescent mother-of-pearl. It could not be taken for the sun as seen through fog. There was no fog at that time. The rain and the fog had stopped. The sun was not opaque, veiled or diffused. It gave light and heat and was brightly outlined by a beveled rim. The sky was banked with light clouds, patched with blue here and there. Sometimes the sun stood out alone in rifts of clear sky. The clouds scuttled along from west to east without dimming the sun. They gave the impression of passing behind it, while the white puffs gliding sometimes in front of the sun seemed to take on the color of rose or a delicate blue. It was a wonder that all this time it was possible for us to look at the sun, a blaze of light and burning heat without any pain to the eyes or blinding of the retina. This phenomenon must have lasted about 10 minutes, except for two interruptions when the sun darted forth its more refulgent, lightning-like rays that forced us to look away. The sun had an eccentricity of movement. It was not the scintillation of a celestial body at its highest power. It was rotating upon itself with exceedingly great speed. Suddenly, the people broke out with a cry of extreme anguish. The sun, still rotating, had unloosened itself from the skies and came hurtling towards the earth. This huge, fiery millstone threatened to crush us with its weight. It was a dreadful sensation. During this solar occurrence, the air took on successfully different colors. While looking at the sun, I noticed that everything about me darkened. I looked at what was nearby and cast my eyes away towards the horizon. Everything had the color of an amethyst. The sky, the air, everything and everyone. A little oak nearby was casting a heavy purple shadow on the ground. Fearing impairment of the retina, which was improbable because then I would not have seen everything in purple, I turned about, closed my eyes, cupping my hands over them to cut off all light with my uh, With my back turned, I opened my eyes and realized that the landscape and the air retained the purple hue. This did not give the impression of being an eclipse while still looking at the sun. I noticed that the air had cleared, and I heard a nearby peasant say, "This lady looks yellow as a matter of fact, everything far and near had changed now. People seemed to have jaundice. I smiled when I saw everybody looking disfigured and ugly." My hand had the same color. Now, there are two Dr. Almeida Garretts, a father and son, and both professors at the University of Coimbra that were at Fatima that day. The the testimony that I just read is from Dr. Jose Maria de Almeida Garrett, the son and a professor of law. We also have the testimony of the father, Dr. Gonzalo Xavier de Almeida Garrett, a professor of mathematics with a background in solar astronomy, astronomy, which I will read in a bit. These are intelligent, scientifically minded, devoutly Catholic men from an aristocratic family. The elder de Almeida Garrett was actually the nephew of the famous Portuguese poet, the first Viscount of Almeida Garrett. So I don't see a benefit to them of providing false testimony in an era where both Catholicism and the nobility were losing their luster. For context, um, Portugal had just overthrown their monarchy in 1910, and the new government was quite anti-religion. And much of the scholarship relies on the Almeida Garrett testimonies, and that's because they are considered the most reliable and most descriptive witnesses. To expand on the historical context, I'm linking an, linking an article in the show notes from Brother John Zamaha, but I want to read a quote here. At the beginning of the 20th century, the moral and the religious co- situation in Portugal was abysmal. In 1911, the separation of church and state became official. The years from 1910 to 1913 were years of terror. Priests and bishops were imprisoned or exiled. Religious orders were suppressed. Almost all the seminaries were closed and confiscated. Missions languished or were abandoned. Freemasonry was in control. From 1910 to 1926, Portugal experienced 16 revolutions with 40 changes of government officials. Um, So I'm not going to comment on the Freemasonry aspect of this other than to say that this is an article from a Catholic religious and the Catholic Church and Freemasonry have been at odds for a very long time. But as a whole, this gives you an idea of the zeitgeist at the time. And like I said earlier, one of those revolutions and changes of government was in December of 1917. So you've got constant turnover and turmoil and just, um, uh, destabilization in the country. And anytime you've got that, you're going to have, uh, people being nervous to offer, more controversial takes on things just because they don't want to put themselves out there in such a way that could endanger them. Um, What's okay with one government may not be okay with the next and you've got to make sure that you're not in putting yourself in a position to be a target for the next government, etc. But also It goes to the piety of the people, like I said earlier. When you don't have any, when you don't have a stable environment, in a secular sense, your faith becomes far, far and away more important in your life. As far as um, you seek out the faith because you feel you have no control in the day to day. So here next, I want to read a portion of the elder de Almeida Garrett's testimony. The full testimony, as well as others, is available um, in Portuguese in the show notes. But this is the relevant part in English from Philip Delaware's paper, Fatima Pictures and Testimonials in-depth analysis. So Dr. de Almeida Garrett says, um first. The, p- the phenomenon lasted about t- 8 to 10 minutes. Second, the sun lost its blinding, bri- blinding brightness, taking on a moonlight glow easy to watch. Third, for three times during this event, the sun appeared gyrating in its periphery, flashing sparks of light on its edges, as the well-known firework heels. Oh, firework wheels, sorry. 4. This circling movement of the edges of the sun, three times manifested and interrupted, was speedy. 5. The sun turned violet and then orange, spreading these colors over the earth, regaining its shine and brightness, impossible to gaze. 6. These facts happened shortly after noon and near the zenith. That is very important. I do not consider the phenomena observed in the sun as astronomical, but as atmospheric over the solar image, with moon-like and spin effects. Those effects, however, are unbelievable to occur at noon and at the zenith when meteorological effects are weak. It's tough to produce these phenomena by noon. I find it compelling that a professor who was familiar with solar effects and had written on solar astronomy Felt that the Fatima explanation was atmospheric, not astronomic in nature, but I do find it interesting that he contradicts himself in a way because he says that he feels it's atmospheric, not astronomical based on everything that he knows about, um, the phenomena and then his background in, in solar astronomy, but that a- atmospheric effects are most difficult to affect the sun at the zenith. Um We all know this just by looking at sunrises and sunsets every day, right? The, the sun is more likely to change low the lower it is in the sky. The higher it is in the sky, the more it just looks like the sun every single day. So he thinks that it's atmospheric, but also has no idea how that could manifest itself. The other important part of Dolores' paper is collecting the testimonies of witnesses outside of Fatima, and when you congregate the testimonies and map them out, you see that the miracle was seen over Fatima, no matter which direction the witness was to Fatima. So it seems like it was not an effect of the sun, but rather a sun-like object over Fatima. Otherwise, everyone see- would see the everyone would see the miracle in the same direction because it would be affecting the sun. And the sun's location relative to where you are doesn't change whether you're zero, you know, at at point zero or you're 20 kilometers away, 20 miles away. That's um a minor distance compared to the physical distance from the sun. So this just points to the fact that it wasn't wasn't the sun. So from an analytical perspective, the first thing I want to do is see what's going on with the planets in the sky. So for this, I used the Stellarium web app to look at the positions of the stars and planets from the vantage point of Fatima on October 13th, 1917. Another option I would normally use is mastering the Zodiac, but their chart calculator was under construction this week. In looking at the planets, what I don't see is anything near the sun. Venus, Mercury, and the moon are all about 15 to 40 degrees away. So I don't see anything that could cause optical phenomenon, such as what we see with eclipses. And even if there was, I know from my own experience witnessing a total solar eclipse that an eclipse cannot account for all of these witness testimony. Um, I am inclined to think that there's a natural cosmic explanation for the phenomenon though because it was witnessed in towns surrounding Fatima as well, not just by the people who gathered at the Cova hoping for confirmation. And as Dr. Almeida Garrett said, it is going to be most difficult for meteorological effects, ash- atmospheric effects to affect the sun at noon, which is when the um, incident took place. Interestingly, lo- interestingly, lo- interestingly though, the sun was in Virgo, the sign of the virgin. And that's a huge coincidence to me. And by coincidence, I really mean synchronicity because I don't really believe in coincidences. But from a s- symbolic perspective, that's huge. Um, Now, if you were expecting to hear that the sun was in Libra, I encourage you to drop Western astrology in favor of true sidereal astrology. Instead of using planetary positions described by Plato, it accounts for the procession of the equinoxes and instead uses the actual positions of the planets in the sky. I'm personally of the belief that if you're going to claim the planets affect our lives, then you should probably use the actual location of the planet instead of where the Greeks said it should be. Regardless, the sun was in Virgo, and that's significant. Um, Actually, many understand the clothing, the woman clothed in the sun from Revelation 12 is actually the sun being in Virgo, along with various other cosmological alignments that correspond to the rest of the description. I don't want to get too far into a tangent on that, but I did find it very interesting and wanted to note that connection. So let's talk about what we know. There was an event at solar noon on October 13th, 1917, witnessed by thousands of people, centralized in the town of Fatima, Portugal, but also visible in the surrounding areas. Witness testimonies are inconsistent as witness testimonies witness testimonies typically are, but they generally agree that the sun or a sun-like object danced in the sky and swooped towards earth. Also, that rain-soaked clothing dried rapidly. It was a rainy day, and the sun only became visible just as the event was occurring, so there were clouds present around the sun in the sky, though as um the younger De noted that there was no fog around the sun. And there were no planets, speaking in the classical sense, so including the moon, that were around the sun to cause any astronomical, astronomical phenomenon in that sense, like eclipses. So based on that, we have a few theories to examine. One would be moisture-related optical phenomenon owing to the clouds being present. Um, Some people have suggested volcanic ash, but there's no record of any volcanic activity in the area to have caused that, so I don't really put any weight in that. Two would be an asteroid or some astronomical object other than the planets interfering with the sun or perhaps even acting as the sun-like object because the sun was behind all the, behind the clouds all morning there is a possibility that what they thought was the sun wasn't actually the sun they just you know weren't weren't tracking what came in while the clouds were hiding the area um three alien ufo because obviously that's on the table anytime you're conspira- considering any conspiracy theory or unexplained phenomenon ever And number four would be truly supernatural phenomenon, unexplainable by any other means. This to me is the last resort, but I do believe that the divine works through natural means, so I would like to see if there is a natural explanation before resorting to a strictly supernatural explanation. And then of course a final possible explanation would be mass psychosis. Just kidding. I think mass psychosis is one of the most cop-out explanations for unexplained phenomena. It actually drives me crazy when people say that. It completely stops you from asking any further questions. Besides, in this case, we have a group of mixed socioeconomic class, mixed religion, and mixed motivation attesting to some miracle of the sun. I don't see how any of like all of the above, would fall under a mass psychosis together. That's just absurd to me. Now, not quite mass psychosis, but mass hallucination has been given by some as a possible explanation for the event. An optical illusion of sorts, I guess you could say, created by staring at the sun too long, which would be known as solar retinopathy. And that's what the younger doctor did, Dr. Almeida Garrett referenced as what he thought was happening to him, and that is why he closed his eyes and tried to reset, um, to see if that purple hue would still be there, and it was. So again, though, I'm fully aware that staring at anything too long, even your reflect- own reflection, can play tricks on you. Um, I think this is something that would be impossible to get such a ubiquitous test- testimony about. Um, I mean, surely there would have been somebody not staring at the sun that would not have fallen victim to such a simple explanation. And Dr. O'Day Almeida Garrett did close his eyes because he thought he was experiencing solar retinopathy. It also doesn't explain some of the phenomenon reported. And, Every person who has genuinely tried to replicate these phenomena by staring at the sun has developed eye damage. So I don't really take hold too much water in this this type, this uh explanation. One paper I read suggested this, suggesting this was by August Meeson, and honestly I think his paper is crap. Despite being a Catholic and teaching at a Catholic university, he uses apparitions that are not approved by the Catholic Church, which I think is a great like first mistake. If they if the chath- Catholic Church has reviewed and has not approved an apparition, they have a they have reason to doubt it, and so I don't think it provides the strongest case possible by including weakened and unapproved apparitions and phenomenon in your reporting if you're going to report on a catholic phenomenon and it also seems pretty clear to me that he is disingenuously using his experience staring at the sun to justify his discounting of the supposed messages of the seers Um, and also by the way he didn't stare at the sun long enough because he didn't want to go for the full Monty of eye da- eye damage. Um, his, and that's what he says. That's what, Oh, that's why it didn't work. Cause I wouldn't want to get eye damage. Well, if you get eye damage, it also doesn't work because that's not what happened on that day. Um, but he didn't see all their effects reported and it, Either way, it doesn't explain all the witnesses outside of Fatima reporting a phenomenon not at the location of the sun, but at the location of Fatima. I'm also quite surprised to see a Catholic honestly suggest a UFO explanation instead of the possibility of divine visual miracles and divine messages. Um... Then again, when the official church stance is against the traditional Latin mass that was church standard for centuries, but is open to baptizing aliens, Uh links in the show notes if you don't believe me, literally baptizing aliens, I really shouldn't be too surprised, I guess. Anyway, I've included the paper in the show notes for everyone's effort reference, but it just strikes me as a flawed straw man argument for the purposes of slandering the messages and not for the purposes of determining the truth. So, moving into the actual possibilities, let's first look at this possible explanation of ice crystals in the clouds. Now, a stumbling block of this explanation, as noted by Arthur Wawrowski? Wawrowski? Wawrowski. I think that's right. Polish. In his his 2012 paper, Modeling of the Phenomenon Known as the Miracle of the Sun as the Reflection of Light from Ice Crystals Oscillating Synchronously. Seriously, people? Shorter titles. The stumbling block that he notes is that most of the possible atmospheric phenomena are static, and they do not account for the moving, dancing, or color changing noted in the witness testimony. I also doubt that these people would have never experienced the sun in the fog before, and Doctor Dale Almeida Garrett said that there was no fog there, um, just kind of scattered clouds. So whatever happened was in a lifetime, once in a lifetime experience for these people. So it would need to be something a little more unique than just some clouds producing a halo around the sun, and even then, witness testimony doesn't back up that the clouds were causing the issue actually he even references at one point that the clouds seem to be going behind the object which again seems to indicate sun-like object not sun um vrovsky vrovsky uh, see i'm terrible at this vrovsky goes on to create a mathematical model to explain the dynamic nature of the witness testimony But unfortunately, he does so based on video footage of other supposed miracles of the sun, including Medjugorje, which I've already discussed has doubtful veracity. But, you know, even then, it's not approved by the church. And I mentioned that I don't think that you're going to bring your strongest argument when you're not accounting or when you're not using incidences that have been confirmed by the church. Anyway, it doesn't matter, because I don't see how an atmospheric illusion of the sun would account for the people in the surrounding areas seeing the event in the direction of Fatima and not the sun, nor do I think the clouds can account for the purple hue or the rapidly drying clothing, nor does, uh, did... Uh, nor did it seem that there was fog or clouds affecting the sun anyway, based on witness testimony. So I think we have to move on to the idea of a second sun-like object. So earlier this year, Colombian astrophysicist, Dr. Ignacio Farin, Ferin, Farin, again, terrible at this, published a book supposing that a small comet was responsible for the miracle witnessed at Fatima. But before we get into it, I want to briefly mention the differences between comets and asteroids because I had forgotten. Um I mean, I'm sure I learned this in like sixth grade earth science, but I, it's not something I use every day, so it's something I forgot. So just for reference, both asteroids and comets are space rocks for lack of a better term. But comets have a significant, comets have a significant portion of their makeup that is ice, and that's why they burn so brightly in the sky. Comets are also typically found in the Kuiper belt near Neptune, whereas the main belt of asteroids is found between Mars and Jupiter, so much more close to Earth. Um, And, I mean, that makes sense from a layman's perspective, right? Because you're more likely to get ice the further you are from the sun, that being said, Dr. Farine notes in his book that we know of comets in the main asteroid belt, so it's not unreasonable for a, a comet to be so close to Earth. In fact, Dr. Farine highlights this, this sentence in his book. The main belt of asteroids might not be a field of bare rocks, but a graveyard of comets. Which um, which is an interesting concept to think about that the uh, meteoroids and small asteroids seen in that main belt would just be the fragments left over uh, from, from comets that have burned out. Dr. Farin suggests that the Fatima Comet came from the Taurid Complex, a group of meteoroids near the constellation Taurus, which are understood to be derived from the comet Enki and are responsible for the annual Taurid meteor shower. I find this fascinating for a couple of reasons. First, The constellation Taurus is also an earth sign in astrology, as is the constellation Virgo mentioned earlier, which means that there is an aspect of fertility and divine motherhood associated with it. Also, Taurus, again from an astrological perspective, of course, is ruled by the planet Venus. So, fertility and divine motherhood aspect again coming through with the planet Venus. What I also find very interesting is that the main source of the Tauri complex is known as Inky's complex. Now, I know that the comet is named for the German astronomer Johann Franz Inky, who calculated the comet's orbit, or I learned that when I read Dr. Farin's book because I did not know that beforehand, but either way, I know that it's not named for um, for what I'm going to relate it to but I cannot help but notice how it is related either way to the Sumerian god Enki I mean the synchronicity of that homonym of a name is too good to be true in my opinion so Enki was the Sumerian equivalent of the Greek god Poseidon which is the Roman god Neptune god of the seas um, but there's a deep association between Venus and Neptune specifically or Venus and the water generally in the mythology of multiple cr- cultures. Um, and actually, I've also seen it in my alchemical studies, but I'm going to touch on it a little bit with Greek mythology just to highlight the connection and catch everyone up to where my brain is right now. So to fully grasp the association, we have to understand that while Venus the planet is the divine mother archetype, Venus the goddess is only half of that. In Greek and Roman mythology, the divine mother archetype seen in other cultures is split between Venus Aphrodite, the fertility goddess, and Minerva Athena, the virginal wise warrior. And you may doubt how fertility and virginity can coexist in a single person. But I would point to the Virgin Mary as a prime example, the fertility being the birth of the God, um, but virginity in her virgin status. We also see Isis in the Egyptian pantheon being associated with virginity. Um, so many are familiar with the myth that her brother, husband, brother, but Egyptian gods, well, all God pantheons have a lot of incest, but Egyptians took that and uh, continued that with the pharaohs, of course. So, there's a lot in, in uh, Egyptian pa- mythology. Um, anyway, so... Many are familiar with the myth that her husband Osiris was killed and dismembered by their brother Set. So Isis collected all of Osiris' parts, but he, she could not find his, um, manhood. And then from there, there's actually multiple versions of the story. Typical of mythology that there's multiple versions, but here we have some saying that Isis constructed a wooden (laughs) manhood and used that to impregnate herself to give birth to the god Horus. But another version says that Isis transformed into a hawk and floated above Osiris's body to impregnate herself, which would preserve her virginity. In well, in that specific instance, we don't hear about. There are other liaisons previously, one can only imagine given they were married, but that's not part of the story, not part of the myth, doesn't matter. As far as her pregnancy would be concerned, it would be a virgin pregnancy. In Greek mythology, we see Aphrodite being born of the water and the seafoam. If you didn't know, Greek gods were not particularly fond of their fathers. Uh, we all know Zeus killed his father Cronus, but Cronus also defeated his father. Cronus took his sickle and castrated his father Uranus. Um Cronus threw the uh, <clears throat> manhood into the ocean and from the ocean and the sea foam was born Aphrodite. And we also see Athena being associated with Poseidon. Athena and Poseidon famously competed for patronage of Athens. Poseidon, I believe, provided a spring except for it was salt water, which was not as helpful as maybe a freshwater one would have been. And then Athena provided the olives um, and gave birth to olive oil, which is huge in Mediterranean culture. So she essentially won the competition and got to be the patron of Athens, Athens, Athena, hence the name. But that association with Poseidon is still there. So anyway, I find these synchronicities are really interesting. Um, they're not physical proof of anything, but to me, they would be. If I had to prove, if I had to prove that divine intervention was involved, those types of synchronicities, where all of the um, the symbolism aligns, uh, would be my go-to as far as proof was concerned. Um, can you ever really prove the divine? Hmm, hard to say. But um I do find it very interesting. Anyway, so Dr. Farine's Fatima Comet Hypothesis states the following. The events happening in Fatima on October 13th, 1917 were due to a falling upon our planet of a small comet coming from the sun's direction causing a local dimming of the sun and disintegrating completely in the atmosphere. And just offhand, I mean, there's several aspects of the incident that align with this hypothesis. So the Fatima miracle occurred in October, and that's when the earth experiences the torrid meteor shower every single year. Um, And then I mean also so a comet coming from the sun's direction would appear to be a trick of the sun in Fatima but would seem to be in the direction of Fatima not the sun everywhere else and it could also make it seem as if the sun was coming towards them and could kill them. so it totally aligns with the location um, issues that some of the other explanations couldn't account for a comet that burns up completely would not create an impact but it would distribute ice and dust across the sky, which would both dim the sun and create this rainbow of colors from a prism effect. Dr. Almeida Garrett, the younger, mentioned an amethyst hue, but what if that hue was actually closer to blue? I mean, we know that icebergs appear blue because ice absorbs red light better than blue. So the blue light is transmitted through the ice while the red light remains trapped. Um, that could at least account for part of the color changing effect, but Dr. Farine also notes that the amethyst could be caused by the c- cyanogen molecule, which is common in comets. Um, a comet could also explain the spinning that was witnessed of or that was described of the sun, because where the tail would be coming behind the comet, but the comet would itself be spinning as it was entering the atmosphere the tail would appear to spin and it would create this spinning light coming out of the back of the sun as as it would as it came towards them the spinning would be behind it and it would look like this spinning light would emanating from a comet or well the sun from their perspective so that lines up with witness testimony and even the dry clothes could be explained by a comet, because when the comet entered the atmosphere, the explosion would cause an air blast in the direction of impact. So Dr. Farine notes as an example that the massive Tunguska event in um, in Russia, which if you haven't looked at it, oh my gosh, that thing is terrifying. But anyway, in the massive Tunguska event, millions of trees were felled by the air blast. Which means that reports of the momentary wind um, that dried both the ground and their clothes totally aligns with what would be expected from a comet's air blast. Dr. Farin goes into further detail in his book, which I do recommend. Um, it does cost about $20, though, unless you have a Kindle Unlimited account or... As of time of recording this, unless you have a Kindle Unlimited account. Um, So definitely don't feel pressured to purchase it. I actually used the 30-day trial to read it, but I have added it to the list of books I want to purchase for my library in the future. Um, And Dr. Farine actually had more arguments than I went into. Uh, I don't want to go into every single one of them here because I am thinking it's overkill, honestly. And he does go over some points that I already kind of disproved on some of the other possible explanations. I personally, I mean, I just don't see any flaws in this argument. And I certainly think it explains much more of the witness testimony than the the other theories that we've talked about. The only thing that I'd really like to know if it's possible is... um, could we collect soil samples or something tangible to test if like maybe to test if comet derived molecules are present in the Fatima soil? Um, And I honestly, I don't even know if that's possible this many years after the event, um, particularly since an actual impact didn't occur. But if there was any physical evidence to accompany this hypothesis, I really think it would be just like Overwhelmingly convincing, and I, I think it would be hard for people to uh, discount. Um, and personally, I would encourage the scientific community and the Catholic community to pool resources to further investigate this line of thinking. Like as I said, this book just came out earlier this year, so it is a pretty new hypothesis on the spectrum of of Fatima you know explanations and so it doesn't have maybe as much um behind it as you would want um and and Dr. Farine has not published in the scientific journals about this previously and i would say two i mean ju- just like at the top of my head two explanations for that and it doesn't even have to be all the different motivations that could be but one money Why on earth would you want to publish your, um, publish your big, like, breakthrough theory in scientific journals that don't make you crap for money when you can publish a book on Amazon to a wide audience and get, you know, actual funds? And the other thing about that is I'm not sure because he is genuinely an astrophysicist if the journals that he would be um, typically working with would even be interested in this. Because it is kind of a a woo topic um, and it certainly delves into uh, Christian realms and that is not a popular place to be these days uh, depending on where you are. Although he's in like Colombia and Venezuela, so I don't know if it's a little more Catholic friendly down there being a Latin American culture versus like America where you're just not going to get large funding for that. Um, but I want to point out natural explanations of divine events do not discount their miraculous quality. You still have illiterate children predicting a phenomenal event, and they could have no like natural foreknowledge of that. It's just impossible. There's no way that they would have understood astronomy to even guess that something of this type would happen in October, given that we do it every year. Because why would they know that? I mean, first of all, the oldest one is 10. They can't read can't write and if they're shepherding um, if they're shepherding flocks instead of going to school how would they know astrophysics anyway right so there's still something going on there as far as the um, actual information getting to the children but aside from that um, because I, I didn't want to get too far into that um, and the possible. I mean, there's just no evidence for how that could have happened, so I don't want to get too far into that, but I want to mention that things can be both divine and natural at the same time. So finally, I want to address the possibility that it was an alien UFO. I acknowledge that I am personally skeptical of the UFO phenomenon, and that's not because I doubt the statistical probability that alien life exists. But because I haven't seen enough good evidence for it, much of the evidence for Fatima as a comet could also be used to justify Fatima as a UFO, and that would depend on your personal bias towards natural versus UFO phenomenon. Um, and the evidence that they use for justifying the Marian apparition as an alien encounter is a testimony that I just, I couldn't verify. Um. But they say that Lucia said, among other things, that Mary appeared small and young like a child, and smoke with smoke spoke without moving her lips, so you would be thinking telepathy, right, which is reported in alien encounter um testimony, but again, I couldn't verify that Lucia said this other than from ufologists i I really would like to get an independent testimony or uh, an independent source for that testimony and unfortunately i cannot read portuguese so that big book of testimony that i had referenced earlier in the show notes if it's in there i can't tell um and that is a a fatal flaw in (laughs) trying to uh research something that happened in a different country is that i do not know what they are saying um but anyway, even if, even if I could verify this, it, it just doesn't really prove much. Um, because everything that said that th- there is in that description could also apply to a divine apparition. Um, I mean, there's a reason Ancient Aliens has a premise for a show. Yes, advanced aliens would be treated as gods if they came to a primitive or a semi developed culture. However, gods would be too. Um, they're concepts that overlap so much. It's hard to say with certainty either way. I mean, aliens and gods are on the preternatural edge and, and when it comes down to it, they both require faith. Maybe it was a UFO in Fatima that day. Um, but maybe a person looking for UFOs can find one anywhere. If I was, if it was a UFO, I'd like to know why it wasn't visible at the previous apparitions or encounters, um, as uf ufologists would call them. You know, why would the alien show up at the previous encounters, but not the UFO? You know, so I, I see flaws in that argument. Um, I see flaws, but also I see just cope. You know, I mean, to, in the same way that I said earlier that a, uh, truly supernatural phenomenon or explanation would be a last resort for me. I'm a, tr- a UFO explanation would be also a last resort. That might be more of a last resort than divine, but that's based on my bias as someone who comes from a li- religious background and not from a uh alien UFO abduction believing background. Um And then one thing that I will comment on, but I don't know that they are connected, but something that triggered in my brain was the amethyst hue with everything having kind of a weird color and then everything looking yellow. I mean, also every just everything having a weird color. It reminded me of the green children of Woolpit. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. But this was in like the year 1,000, 1,100. It was early, quote, Middle Ages, we'll say. Um, And it was in a village in England called Woolpit. <laughs> and these two children were found that were green. And they said for, they came from this land that had perpetual twilight. Constantly in that we like eerie color of light at twilight where there is no sun and there is no nighttime. But it seems like, well, so one of the children died, but it seems like one of the children survived and was able to mate with regular humans. So, um, I have a lot of questions about that. That will absolutely be a future episode. And honestly, that may. Um, I mean it's probably a a pretty far ways off as far as I know on actual scholarship on the green green children of Woolpit, um there's just one book by one author but I do have the book and it is in my collection and I am very excited to read it because I find this concept of like children coming up out of the cave looking like inner earth whatever um just to be completely fascinating, but I'm interested, I'm interested to see if the concept of the weird h- color hue and, um, that perpetual twilight comes into play in that book. Because, like I said, or, well, I didn't, know, I don't know if I said this, but the, so the, the weird hue, and actually the concept of perpetual twilight could also inter- intertwine with the concept of an eclipse because um you know at twilight it's not necessarily painful to look at the sun especially as it's on the horizon and you get the um these beautiful reds and oranges and it looks like a you know, 1980s Miami Vice logo on the horizon. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be as difficult to stare at. And obviously when you're in total solar eclipse, you can stare at the sun and it kind of gives this twilighty glow around. So I w- I'm actually wondering now that I'm saying this out loud, if the concept of an eclipse will play a part in that or even, um, Or even, or even comets as, as light sources, you know? I mean, who knows? Uh, but I just wanted to mention that that actually reminded me of that. And so hopefully one day we'll be able to investigate that and, um, and figure out, I think, plot twist, I think the, the end, um, conclusion that the author comes to that I'm thinking of, and I can't even remember his name, I have the book on my shelf, but I believe that his end conclusion with the, were that those children were aliens. Um, or rather humans that were colonizers of a different planet, obviously still humans since they were able to mate together. But, um, and actually the one child seems to have lost her, her green hue after a while too. So that's a fascinating twist to the story. But, um, but like I said, that it's one source of, of scholarship as far as I know, and it is a pretty thick book, so that'll take a while to um to do an episode on to finish reading to well to start reading that book, finish reading that book, and then possibly find other um other evidence to support so anyway, this is where I'll wrap up this episode honestly. I still don't know what happened at Fatima that day and there's so much that can be said and analyzed. I really just, I feel like I've only scratched the surface and I may have to do another episode down on it down the road. Um, right now I am leaning towards Dr. Farine's Fatima comet hypothesis. Um, and it is so new like i said that i'm i'm really excited to see what further analysis unfolds across multiple disciplines as a result i'm hoping that other people take up that mantle take up that torch and continue um looking at that hypothesis and the different implications and then possibly going to see if there's some physical evidence that can be recovered to um justify and confirm the the theory um So maybe I'll, you know, if that, if more information ever comes to light on that, I will, I will definitely have to revisit down the road. Until then, let me know what you think. Tweet at me at whatsamhillpod or email me at whatsamhill at protonmail.com. If you have a show idea you want me to know more, you want to know more about, tweet me or email me. I am off next week for Thanksgiving and also for my uncle's funeral. I will see y'all in a couple weeks. Uh, episode topic, TBD. I'm, I'm not sure what we're gonna do. I'll probably know next week. Maybe catch it on the Twitters. Until then, nullum magnum ingenium, sine mixture dementia fuit.